Welcome to the Happy Menopause Podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, nutritionist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialise in women's health and the menopause. There are multiple ways that diet and lifestyle can support you through the challenges of midlife. And my latest book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with all my best nutritional advice to help you tailor your diet to your menopause symptoms. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. Hi everyone. How daring do you feel these days? Sometimes it's easy for us to write ourselves off in midlife and think the fun and adventure is all over. So today we're going to explore the extraordinary adventures of some inspiring women who've smashed through barriers, broken taboos, and paved the way for the rest of us. I promise you that by the end of the episode, you'll be raring to go and start an adventure of your own. But first, I'd like to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Better You, who make it possible for me to produce this podcast. We need optimum levels of vitamin D to absorb the calcium which keeps our bones strong and healthy. And that's why a supplement really is a non-negotiable for women in midlife. Vitamin D also plays a key role in supporting immune function, protecting against infection, and it can influence our mood and mental health too. I'm a big fan of the Better You Vitamin D Oral Sprays, which include products suitable for all the family that are very simple to use and with a delicious peppermint flavour. Discover their full range of vitamin and mineral sprays and their wonderfully calming magnesium products, which come as lotions, bath salts and skin sprays, by visiting betteryou.com forward slash THM, where listeners can get 20% off at checkout using the code THM, subject to terms and conditions. So that's betteryou.com forward slash THM, plus the discount code THM, which stands for The Happy Menopause. Nice and easy to remember. If you're looking for a nutritional approach to managing your menopause, come and join my online Guardian Masterclass on Saturday the 10th of June, where I'll be doing a deep dive into all the different ways that diet and lifestyle can help you manage your menopause symptoms. If you're busy that day, you can sign up to receive the recording. Check out the show notes for the link to find out more. And so on to today's episode. My guest will be well known to many of you because she was a much-loved presenter on BBC Breakfast for 20 years. She's used her profile to champion women's stories and to raise awareness of the menopause, mental health and women's safety. She's also a highly successful triathlete who represented Great Britain in her age group. If you haven't guessed already, I'm chatting to the brilliant Louise Minchin, who's here to discuss her latest book, Fearless, Adventures with Extraordinary Women, and to give us all an appetite for adventure. So let's hear what she's got to say. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Louise. Thank you very much indeed for having me. And probably six years ago, I wouldn't have called it Happy Menopause, but I'm happy to do that now. So thank oh, you. Well, I'm thrilled <laughs> to hear that because that's what we're all about on this podcast. <laughs> so before we get to find out a bit more about your fabulous, exciting new book, um, can you tell us your story? What's your background and, and how did it lead to where you are now? Uh, well, I mean, obviously I'm 54, so that's a long answer to that question. I'll try and do it briefly. I was born in Hong Kong because my dad was in the army. Oh. I lived there until I, I was about four or five. And the family legend is that I could swim before I could walk. And I'm still a really 
avid. I love open water swimming. Oh. I was open water swimming last night. So, you know, it's in my life and it always will be, always has been. Then I kind of grew up in a mixture between London and Hampshire, went to university, kind of really formative years were my university years at St. Andrews University, where I studied Spanish. Oh. So did you go to Spain my, as part of that? No, my life changing thing that really changed my turned around my life was I when I was there, I was given a scholarship to go and live in Argentina working Fabulous. for a big company called Coates Viola that I don't I'm not sure they exist anymore. Um, but they did an in, they sort of did a ex, student exchange. So somebody came from Buenos Aires to live in Glasgow and I went from essentially Scotland to go and live in Buenos Aires. So what an experience. I, you know, well, I mean, it just, yeah, completely changed my life because when I left uni, I mean, I, I, did, I did go back to uni, but actually that's really key because I didn't even think I was going to go back to uni, actually. I thought I'd just go and because I'd sort of done, sort of felt I hadn't, wasn't going to get anything out of going back. Went to went to um, Latin America, lived in Argentina, uh, arrived speaking very little Spanish because I was the worst in the Spanish <laughs> class. <laughs> I, I bet you I were the really best like, when you came back. Yeah, but yeah, it was, exactly. I had a you're right. I had a complete and utter transformation. Came back speaking the most perfectly brilliant Argentinian Spanish, which is very yeah. different to Spanish Spanish, but you know, really bilingual at that stage, dreaming in Spanish, and very determined that I wanted to go back and study really hard. Anyway, I came back a changed person. And I think that is the person that I am now and have been ever since. You know, very hardworking, very passionate about the things I love. And uh, yeah, it just turned my life around. Amazing. Yeah, I studied French at university and my year abroad was really formative as well. And yeah, I remember... Th I think they are. They? I, I think everyone should do it, whether you do languages or mm. not. I think it is life-changing, that experience of making your way in another country. Yeah. And it's either sink or swim. And I do remember, you know, because the, the Spanish was so different, the accent. On my first day in the job, they asked me a question, the key question said, do you want to speak English or Spanish? And that was the moment my life changed. Because if I'd said English, I would have had a totally different experience. Yeah. Yeah. And as it was, I had to if, I mean, I, it was terrifying because I just didn't understand, you know, it was like, they just, they were obviously speaking another language and I just had no way in. And I learned it by sitting down with a book next to a dictionary and watching endless soap operas in Spanish. Yeah, yeah. But there we go. It changed my Excellent. life. Excellent. So from there, I mean, what, what took you into journalism? So that, that there is a link. So when I was at uni, I was doing all the things that I would tell university students now if they wanted to do my career. I was writing for the Student Chronicle. I mean, terrible, really <laughs> bad writing, taking photos as well. But I was doing it. I was always very interested in news, even from a young child. Um, I used to listen to The World Tonight. It was my bedtime listening when I was 10. Um, so very invested in journalism and in stories and in storytelling. And as and when I left uni, I, my first job was working as an interpreter in Chile, in southern Chile, for Operation Rally, as yeah. it was there. And because I was the one of the only people, few people who spoke Spanish in the expedition, I was twenty one, and I had to do all the interviews. Gosh. And I and it was literally I had a moment when I'm sitting like we are now, but across a tiny little studio in Patagonia, and it was just so obvious to me. That, that I wanted to do. Here was a radio journalist, radio presenter, and I wanted to do his right. job. Absolutely set on that. And that's what I've always done. Always, you know, I've always wanted to be the person until now, by the way, asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's really funny because it's all the turns, tables are turned now. But yeah, so, and I'm very, you know, I had a very kind of traditional way in, I suppose. I came back and 
worked for the Latin American section of the World Service, worked as a production assistant and, and worked my way yeah. up from there. Make, you know, making tea. That's yeah. where I started. Yeah, started like, at the bottom. You know, that's where you learn yeah. the best trade. And of course, you know, you, you made it right through to, to BBC Breakfast, which makes you a very, very familiar face to pretty much everyone in the UK, I'd say. <laughs> well, there are people. I always, when I always do talks, I say, "Okay, who watched the other side?" Because there are always, of course, people who watch the other side. But people, yeah, yeah, it's really been an amazing experience, and people do still recognise. I think one of the things I found very interesting when I, I was reading the introduction to your to your new book was, mm. well, first of all, I discovered that your dissertation was very much all about the sort of underlying issues for women in broadcasting and, and able to, yeah. sort of get their face seen, um, have equity, have equality. And and then, of course, in the intro to your book, you're talking about the, the notion that you started experiencing, you started noticing. So tell us a bit about what you noticed. Yeah. So the book is called um, Fearless Adventures with Extraordinary Women. And I'm really so passionate about it and the reason why I wrote it and the, we- and the, re- and the women in this book, because I'm very passionate that women's stories are told because I think we need heroes that look yeah. like us. And if anybody who watches Breakfast, they'll know a little bit about me probably and that I love, I'm, I'm what I call now an endurance athlete. So I love stories about adventure, um, courage, about bravery, about being intrepid. And what I noticed, because those are particularly, and there may be, there'll be voids in other areas, and that I would argue, for example, possibly in business, perhaps. But what I noticed was the stories, the, the people who made it onto the BBC Breakfast Sofa, who had those stories of endeavour, were mostly, and I mean really 90% yeah. of the time, men. Men and I just thought, for me, where what what's going on here? Is it that women aren't doing this stuff, or is it that we're just not talking to them? And then, th- so however many years ago, so I'm 54 now, so over 30 years ago, I wrote that dissertation. It was actually in Spanish about Spain, and it was about, you know, how women were represented in the media. And I mean both behind the screen, and I mean on the screen, and I mean what are the type of articles being written about them. And things have moved on massively, but there are still places where I don't think where you need, it's difficult to spot an absence, isn't it, yeah. sometimes? Because it's not yeah. there. So you can't see it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But there'll be other things, other places, other people that are underrepresented. And I just thought, right, I could write another dissertation or maybe a book about why women's stories aren't told. But actually, I want to do what I do best, which is get down deep and dirty. And, you know, I've been with every single one of these women in these in these stories. I've done what they've loved and tell their story and go out and celebrate it rather than get into difficult, tricky conversations with people going, well, you know, what about all the men? Well, you know, go to a bookshop and you'll find <laughs> where they are. Plenty. Because if you go to a sports section of a bookshop, you'll find there are very few women represented. Yeah. So so you can, you can have those arguments, but I'm not really interested in, I'm interested in getting on doing it and amplifying women's voices. I, I just, I knew when I left BBC Breakfast, this is what I wanted to do. And I'm excited that it's finally nearly yeah, out well, there. We're going to talk May, about but... all of that in a second because it's an amazing book. But I have another question for yeah. you about your time on breakfast because of course there was the groundbreaking menopause week and yes. how you know, how influential were you in in making sure that that actually even happened? Oh well, <laughs> Very. I thought you must. I'm blowing be. my own trumpet here, which is not a, not a thing women do, and that's the key message in my book. We never do that. But rewind a bit. I was, gosh, I, I can't remember how many years ago More was that. Than was that. that three remember years there ago was now, COVID, it was, wasn't I it? Think it was four. Wow, gosh. Anyway, 
so what happened was that I was really struggling mm-hmm. myself with menopause and I was really honest in the piece that we did on BBC Breakfast about that. And every time we did any menopause stories, I mean, the voracious appetite of the audience for it was stunning. I kept saying to them, we really should do something on menopause because I know there's this huge appetite out there in the audience for information. Anyway, they're like, yeah, right. You know, there's Brexit, obviously. There's a general election, obviously. There's another general election. So for some time, I mean, you know, for really some time I had been going on about And the reason I was able to talk about it was I had had to out myself at work for being a menopause woman because we'd had a sort of let's put it nicely let's say a disagreement about the temperature yeah. in the studio and it wasn't with any of my co-presenters but there were you know and and I had to basically go to my boss and say look I'm not being a diva here you know I'm in front of 6 million people and I'm I'm really got real issues with menopause particularly hot sweats you know flushes sweaty armpits you know anybody who's listening to this podcast you can imagine the issues I was having you know I'm not being a pain I can't go on doing this job if I can't turn the heating down so I had to out myself which was already a really embarrassing thing to do and then my producer god god bless her after me nagging her for some long time came to me and said Louise right we're going to do a menopause week. I was like, what? I mean, I wanted to do something on menopause. Like, really? And she says, and the thing is that yeah. we want you to front it because, you know, I know I'm a journalist. I know that the personal is powerful. But to do that was massive because it was then, and you're right, it's more than three years ago, it's four years ago or so, isn't it? It felt like a huge thing, a, a possibly career risk risky thing to do career limiting thing to do let's be honest it was a real taboo and yeah. I think there and I think a lot of now, women but... in the workplace feel like that way as well you know think they can't come out because exactly. are they going to think I'm not up to it and that's my point well do you know that's why I did it because I just thought well first of all I know that we will get massive more engagement if I fess up and the brilliant thing about it but the strange thing for me looking back at it is that when I did it I was in a very vulnerable place because I was I'd come off HRT for complicated reasons and HRT for me is a godsend it really is but I was off it so I was having really bad both psychological Mm. and physical symptoms and I look back at the Louise now and I play it whenever I do, you know, go and do conferences or whatever, talk about this. I play the film and I feel really sorry. It's like I'm completely disassociated with that Louise because I do not feel like that anymore. But it was brilliant because it really, I was able to, you know, people were were able to identify with that and completely, you know, the the well, I got overwhelming Mm -hmm. kind of love and understanding and so much, you know, and the best thing for me was that so many people understood their loved ones in a way that they hadn't before because I was able to be that vulnerable but it was yeah. scary it was a really scary thing to do but I'm super honestly it's the yeah. thing I'm most well, you should proud be, of it, I did it was, was incredibly there. important it wasn't just a Thank one-off you. documentary that people may or may not choose to watch yeah it was there and I think that morning yeah. tv is very intimate you know, it really is in people's living rooms and I think exactly that when a message can come through consistently over the course of a week then that starts to drive home Yes. And I think we were all, and I include myself and I include the production team and I, I include the whole audience on yeah. a on a journey that week. And I genuinely, I learned so much. I got to myself to be in a much better place after that week. I know, you know, I still get messages about it now. It cha- It sounds really over the top, but it genuinely changed people's lives. And we couldn't have done that if we hadn't dedicated that amount of time to it because it's developed over the week. You know, what we did at the end 
we had changed quite a lot from the way we had envisaged it at the beginning. So I'm, I, I'm so proud of it. I'm really, really just no, so delighted I mean, that we did that. And I hope it continues absolutely. to make waves. I mean, for people. me, speaking as a clinician, I've been working in the menopause space for uh, well over 10 years. Mm. And obviously, yeah, when, when you get something like that, it really makes blasts it open because there's only so much that you know an, an average yeah. person can do to spread the word but when you get something out there in the media yes, it then starts yeah. to mean that people understand there's possibility for help and they'll come and look for it and that makes all the difference you know it was so brilliant to be able to drop that stone into the pond and those waves to still go and just to know like you'd say now that other people yeah. are being able to access help is just Really, just incredible. I just feel yeah, I feel very yeah, lucky. No, it was, to it was able a big moment. So um, let's talk about the book Fearless. I love, I love oh, that title because I think that you know, women in midlife, we become, you know, we often become invisible or we feel invisible. There's a whole sense of mm-hmm. many women, you know, losing a sense of themselves, becoming often more anxious depending on what fluctuation of hormone they're experiencing because every woman's different. And I mm. think that the, the the examples we've got in this book are really exciting for women to think about what they can do. So you've already sort of explained the inspiration yeah. behind it, which is let's get women out there. and Let's put women into history because we've kind of yeah. been you know, left out of yes. history. And we were always there. <laughs> yeah, we, we certainly were. definitely were. there because <laughs> exactly. it wouldn't have happened without us. <laughs> but how would you sum up the book? Well, I'm really proud about the book. It's done more than I imagined it would hopefully be able to do because I wanted to really celebrate incredible women who are, and the basis theme is they're all doing something, breaking barriers through sport and exercise and being outdoors. And you've got everybody from Z Alima, for example, who wants to be the first black Muslim woman to play rugby for England. You know, she's really breaking down barriers and stereotypes. You know, she is, she calls herself, well, she's called on the pitch, the bulldozer, because she's really good, but she calls it, she's embraced that as her name because she's bulldozing down vast silos. And super brave to be in that context because of course, you know, as a teetotaler, you're sort of in this drinking culture, which, you you know, something like rugby often is, I don't want to generalize, but it often is. And, and that's often a way in for people to, to connect. And she couldn't do that. No. And she'd have to give away the pint that she often won because she was the best person in the match. Anyway, so there's, so there's lots of different people. And what I love about the book, and then you've got Mimi, um, Mimi Anderson, who is a wonderful, incredible, uh, endurance runner who we should, she should be a household name. And that's my point that she's not. So if you haven't heard of her, absolutely, that's why I'm writing this book. We went on an epic cycle ride, trying to cycle all the way across Argentina, which was incredible. And, you know, she is there. She, she's out there. I think she's a grandmother of, is it? I think it's all oh four. I'm sure I'm pretty sure she's got four grandchildren. She's a grandmother. And I happen to know right now she's on her bike this week doing an epic bike ride, which is a long old, I think it's three or four, no, maybe four or five days. She's going to be bivying. Um, if you don't know what that is, that's like basically staying outdoors in pretty much God. a bag. <laughs> She's got it all in her bike. She's incredible. And there are these brilliant women out there who are just getting on with it. And they're not doing it because they want kudos or they want headlines. They just, they're doing what they love. And I think it's such a, hopefully, you know, you'll see, you know, there's, there's indoor climbing, there's paddle boarding, there's swimming, there's hiking. Hopefully in the book, you'll 
think you you know you'll feel that you've been part a lot of these adventures that I've been on because the point being is that I've done something with every single one of them that's how I did the interviews and I think that's what I love about it because Good. initially a book of, of interviews about these women would have been great but what I think is really inspiring is that you get down and dirty and you do every single challenge in some way <laughs> And yeah. I mean, that's just extraordinary. It makes it fascinating because oh. you're, you're like, well, I was going to say you're like us. You're not really like us because I think you're very physically confident and that, that would help. But it is that sense of someone who's, who's not an expert in that field trying it out yes, yeah. and tripping up in the way that we would all trip up if we tried it. Oh, gosh. I mean, I did some proper trip ups, didn't I? And, you know, like things that I should know better. I mean, like for one of the examples is with Rianne Mannings, who's this amazing lady whose baby son died and then her her husband took his life a week later. I mean, just absolutely oh, the most awful story. But she is an extraordinary woman and she hardly did anything, you know, sort of exercise wise beforehand. Now she goes on, um, she does, she's done the London Marathon. I can't remember how many times she, you know, she goes, she's an incredible fundraiser and we were doing, they were doing a fundraising walk. They were doing the three peaks in Wales. And I, I've had a, you'll read in the book, I've had a knee injury, so I couldn't do all of the three peaks, but I went, you know, to your point about, you know, making mistakes, I went up Snowdon and I've been up Snowdon maybe six times. So I know what it's like. It's okay. You take your stuff. It's, a hard walk but it's you know yeah. that's what it is anyway I made a massive mistake got halfway up the hill it was beginning to rain and I we were actually with some safety people and I said oh do you think I should put my waterproofs on note to self listen to your gut feeling everybody yeah he goes oh no it's a passing shower it was not a passing shower by the time I got to the top I was wet down to my pants it's quite <laughs> it's quite honest oh. this isn't this this book <laughs> and 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 dangerously cold yeah you know, de- and I, I've had hypothermia, so I knew I was literally on a fast track to hypothermia. And, you know, hopefully that's a lesson for other people in the book, you know, as well, because, you know, the, the thing about all the women is they all take it very seriously. And I don't do these things lightly. Mm. You know, they all plan. Safety is the number one thing. But things can happen. Things can go wrong, even when you're an experienced walker like I would like to think I am. Yeah. Yeah. You referred to yourself earlier as as an endurance athlete and people who who know about you will know that you you know you're pretty high level at, at triathlon. Presumably that would have been quite helpful as an experience. Yeah. I think of course it was and you know I think I mean some of the things you know, don't don't get me wrong I was as you know you've read it supremely challenged mentally and physically mm, in quite a lot of caving these things, one. But, yeah, cave, wild, wild caving. The most, I mean, I have I have what I call rational fears in the book, which is I'm cycling along a road, a dual carriageway in Argentina with trucks going past at 60 miles an hour. I might get knocked off my bike. That's pretty rational. Irrational fears, I'm under the Mendip Hills and they've been there for millennia, but they're going to choose this second that I'm in it to squash me. That is not rational, yeah, but I still yeah. felt it. Oh, no less real, no less real for not being <laughs> rational. Is it okay? I don't know. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but it felt real. Neither am I, but I think it would have felt very real. (laughs) It felt very real. I've done lots of um, endurance challenges over the years. And, you know, one of the things I did was the swim from Alcatraz, which is, you know, it's called it. As soon as you say Alcatraz, everybody thinks, sharks prison you can't escape so I did the swim from Alcatraz and and I really wanted to do that because I just thought that was such an iconic swim to do and for me you know for a lot of people they would be very very worried and intimidated by that and rightly so because you are in a vast 
bay of water with you know shipping coming through but for me you know I I love that kind of thing and that was an amazing day it really was but that's because you know and I feel lucky that I'm like that because but but that's over many you know I've done 10 years of doing things which are really challenging so which enable me you know and I think that's the point in some ways about the book every time you do something which is pushes you out of your comfort zone whether it's fear or you know something that you know nearly getting hypothermia I just think you grow and you're able to do something more challenging the next time. And also, really important, you take those messages of empowerment back into other parts of your life. So you become more resilient to, you know, bad stuff that might be happening at home or, you know, maybe have an ill relative or whatever. I think, just personally, that all the stuff I do helps me in other parts of my life in a way that I probably can't measure. Yeah, I'm sure that's right. Now, some people listening might be thinking, well, Louise sounds amazing and she's obviously like really athletic and all these things, <laughs> but you didn't, you, you haven't been doing years of triathlon. You Mm-mm. started it in midlife. So I yeah. think that's something for people to hold on to. It's not something that, oh, well, she was always doing that stuff. You started No, I was it. not. No, Jackie, you're so right. I was not always doing that stuff at all. I was really you know, doing, I think what most people try and do, or I, what I was doing was I had two young children, two daughters and trying to fit exercise a bit around them Mm. because, or my life or my work, because I sort of knew vaguely that it made me feel better, but not in any, um, sort of focused way. And then I just felt, I just fell in love with it. And I'd given up competitive sport age 15, like many of your listeners, I imagine may, may have done because of the absolute classic, because of body image. Mm. I didn't like the muscles that the swimming was giving me. I mean, it's just, it's just totally, it's so cliche. It's annoying. (laughs) But the, but the good thing about the cliche is it can inspire everybody who's not done anything that you can go and do amazing things. And for me, I was, you know, age 45, I did this challenge in the velodrome in it for BBC Breakfast. And I just remembered how much I love sport. And I've gone to do it in a, you know, I mean, I kind of taken that to the nth degree. And I eventually ended up um, representing my age group in triathlon, which was an amazing experience. Yeah. And I pretty much did it because I just thought it was such a silly thing that somebody's job was sitting on a sofa could then go and represent their country. Yeah, I think just, it's amazing. It just tickled my <laughs> sense of humor. I mean, obviously I had to work incredibly hard and be really fit. And I'm, I mean, I'm, gosh, I'm so far off that kind of level of speed. Yeah. So that you, I don't think it's ever too late. And I've done, you know, I've had a fair various injuries over the time and I think I've done couch to 5k. I mean, literally started, so starting from nothing, having had an ankle operation, not able to walk down the stairs to, you know, not, not, a couple of weeks ago, I did the London marathon yeah. through couch to 5k. Yeah. Yeah, literally, that's the place to start. It is. It is. And your and your challenge is your challenge. It's not. Don't compare yourself to anybody else or to me or, you know, go and find something, and start small. You know, just start small, and then things get bigger because yeah. you'll always be like, oh, I've done five k. Absolutely. I'll do 10. I mean, I, I have running has never been a thing for me ever. It's not yeah. something I ever enjoyed. But I did couch to five k during lockdown. Did, and- yeah, and I was amazed at how much I actually enjoyed it and, and the sense yeah. of freedom and the physical confidence you suddenly got. And I, ever since then, I walk a lot faster. Right. I just noticed. And walking is really, we know is really good for yeah. you, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you mentioned a couple of things there, which I really like to pick up on. You, are you, I think you, did you say physical confidence twice? You have, haven't yes. you? But physical confidence, I think especially 
going forward as you know I'm 54 is really important because yes. it's a lot it's a lifesaver yeah. you know if you don't if you if you fall you need to bounce back up quicker but hopefully you know I do lots of just been to do um, some weight training you know it's really important I think going forward because we're likely to live a long time but to live an active life and to do that you sort of need to I personally think and again I'm not a trainer or you know, to invest now in my strength and in my bone strength and all the rest of it. So going forward, I can be an 80 year old that I'm not saying I'm going to be running 5k by the way, but you never know. You never know. I I might be swimming 5k. I wouldn't put it past you is all I will say. Uh, Keep moving. (laughs) But I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I'm a nutritionist, so obviously I will always be focusing on the, on the, the diet and lifestyle and the things that you can do to Mm -hmm. manage your menopause symptoms and support yourself in, in later life as well. But the thing I am constantly struck by is that, yes, there's tons of research around the importance of nutrition, but there's actually Mm. even more robust research about the importance of remaining physically active and the difference it can make, not just to your menopause symptoms, but yes, it really can, but also, as you say, to your health and well-being so that, you know, as you move through into later life, you're, you're able to enjoy things. Yeah. I mean, what I think has been key for me, and that would be my main message to people, is to make it a habit. Yeah. It's just a habit for me. Yeah. It's what I do. And I did the, I mentioned the London Marathon. I did it. And then I took two weeks off. I tell you what, I had a rage and I don't have rages anymore after How two interesting. weeks. Some, I dropped all the washing and had a proper rage. And I was like, I need to get back to my exercise because I know it helps me monitor or just, you know, just take the edge off stuff. <laughs> I don't do, do, do rages. No, no, you don't strike me as a ragey like, person. No, I'm not. I'm just not a rager. And um, I, it was really funny. I just turned around and said, um, do you know what? I think I, I think I need to get back on, you know, back on the bike. Or when, Anyway, so this week I'm back in now. I've biked, I've cycled, I've, I've done swimming, I'm back in. I've Excellent. done everything and I feel much Excellent. better. I'm sure the family are happier for it. Yeah. <laughs> When I first read the book, I remember messaging you and saying, gosh, you're obviously a water baby because every single chapter, which is about a water-based adventure, really um, shines through how much you love it. it. And of course, you said at the beginning from a baby, you were were in the water. But of all of the ones you did... What was your favourite one? I mean, was it the water-based ones or was it a different one? Or It's going to be water. Can you guess which one it is, though? I wonder (laughs) if it wasn't Alcatraz. No, it was. I mean, I loved Alcatraz. I did genuinely love Alcatraz. That was amazing. Um, and I was with these two young girls who, and that's what I love about this book. I've got grannies and I've got teenagers. So a 17-year-old and a 20-year-old. And they've done that swim, which is really challenging, 77 times each or something. So they're amazing. Um, it's actually, it's free diving under <gasps> ice. Oh. Yep, that's my favorite. I was wondering, because there was a sort of element of that you went back and did it again, yeah. didn't you? Or you wanted to do it again. Yeah. Well, no, I did you it again. Do it again on the spot. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I did it on the spot. So, so this is, and I think this comes to something that I have, and I really accept that not everybody has this, by the way. I really get a massive adrenaline high, is the only way of explaining it, from being very close to the edge, of, having been scared, probably. 
Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah. we people, some, you know, I listened to a brilliant documentary about how people, some people respond really well to being scared. You know, that's why people go on ghost rides, for example. Yeah. Do you see what yeah. I mean? So, so I've got a, obviously some sort of response there, but particularly around water. And I was free diving with this amazing woman called Kath Pendleton, and she's an ice swimmer. And she's she's got a Guinness World Record for being swimming the most southernmost ice mile in the Antarctic. Amazing. In the Antarctic Circle. Incredible woman. Anyway, we decided, because we're utterly bananas, I think, to go free diving under ice. And the day we did it, so free diving is not, you do never do free diving alone. It's an extremely dangerous sport because you are literally going underwater on your own breath. And so you need to do it with a buddy. And I had to go on a whole course to do it and do an exam and everything. So, so that's the thing to park about it. But we went and the day we arrived, it was in Finland and we literally arrived in the dark. And so the first time I ever free-dived outside of a swimming pool, a warm, heated swimming pool, was under one metre of ice in the dark. I mean, utterly madness, really. Uh, Anyway, I did, it was very, it was very scary, but I I just love, so for the first, first two seconds, I'm thinking, oh, this is amazing. I'm under ice and it's dark. And then I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm never yes. going to get out. I'm never going to find the exit. Another Mendip Hills moment. <laughs> another Mendip Hills. And then I came up and just this huge rush, rush of endorphins, laughing my head off, laughing my head off and went straight back to do it again. Yeah. And that is the one thing. So Kath's coming. Um, I'm seeing Kath soon. And I know we, we just kind of like, we, we, we really have whatever, I don't know what, even what to describe it as, but that thing where water is our thing, we, it makes me feel like there's no gravity, that I'm not human, that I can float. You know, I just find the whole thing, you know, you're not, you're not aware of anything. My body feels amazing in water. I feel, you know, it's just a, my Zen like place. So we will definitely, Kath and I will free dive again. And she's learning to be a mermaid because there are jobs, you know, you can be a job. It's a job being a mermaid. Oh, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> in, a, in a zoo and you're not in a zoo, but you know, like in an aquarium and stuff. So she's learning to be a mermaid. And I, I just, that blew my mind. Absolutely. The, all it. these different amazing women. Did you find that they had mm. anything in common? I think they did. I think they had lots in common. I think they, one of the, mo- the things I sort of mentioned to you already was they were incredibly modest, really self-deprecating, mm. Never, and I think that's a lesson to all of us. We need to a shout about other people. That's why I'm doing it for them, and also learn to just be a bit more comfortable in the space. Going, yes, I did a really good thing, or yes, I, you know, I am this, or I, you know, I think we, I certainly most most women I know, and that's a massive generalization, have a tendency to undersell ourselves. Yes, yeah, I think that's true. So that's my that's my job, and your job as well is to you know let's go amplify their voices. So they're really really modest. I think they all doing you know all the things they do. They do the reason it's their why. It's what they're passionate about. Yeah. It's their safe space. It's their solace. And I think if you can find that, that's an incredible thing to do. Yes, I was going to ask you whether or not you learned anything, perhaps about yourself yeah. during the process. Uh, <laughs> what did I learn? I mean, I read the book. When, when we obviously, I've read the book, but I, you know, because I wrote it in, you know, each chapter in isolation, as it were. Yeah. Um, and then I read five in a row, and I go, "Gosh, I am probably really exhausting to be around." <laughs> I accept that now about myself. I, I feel very lucky that I'm able, you know, I think my friends find it sometimes hard be looking at me because I just go, well, I mean, how hard can it be? And why not give it a go? I'm really lucky that sometimes I don't look, I don't look at the negatives around stuff. The book sounds absolutely fabulous. So Thank you. 
where can people find it and where can they find out more about you if they want to follow you on social media? Oh, thank you so much. That's such a great question. So they can find the book literally anywhere. It'll be in your local independent bookstore. Actually, if you go to my Instagram as well, there's a link tree there and you can see exactly where you can buy the book. Fearless by Louise Minchin is out already by the time this podcast comes out. So get to your favourite mm. bookstore or supplier or wherever you get your books from and get it from there. Oh, thank you. And and thank you for, for talking to me about it because I just think it's so important that we all hopefully find someone in there that we can relate to and go, you know, push our boundaries a bit. Yeah, it's incredibly important. Before we wrap up, I always end with the same question, which is your personal top two tips. And in this context, it's for women in midlife who are, you know, wondering quite how to start the adventure or keen to try some sort of adventure what advice have you got for them okay my top tips would be to find if you can either a friend or a community to do that with because I think that's so empowering to have you know people who are either doing the same thing or you can advise you or a friend you know for example I've got a friend who is a great swimmer she hates swimming on her own right I went swimming last night because I know she hates swimming on her own. I wouldn't have gone without her. Right. So I'm helping her. She's helping me. Yeah. So I just think, so if you can possibly find someone who can do that, and it could be remotely, you could be, you know, do it alongside a friend who's somewhere else. So find someone. And also the other thing is really the killer for me is always. So if if you've got a little girl that's sort of tickling at your brain and you're thinking there's, you know, actually I'd really like to do whatever it is, a 1K swim in my local pool, whatever it is, you have to say it because once you say it, so basically tell your friends or your family, by the way, I'm going to do X in Y months because do you know what? You will do it. Once you've enunciated, once you've, you know, said said it, once it's a goal, it's really difficult to get out of. There's one race that I'm thinking of at the moment and I will not tell anybody what it is because as soon as I've said it, I've got to do it. You know, there's lots of different communities out there. Find your safe space wherever it is. And most people, I mean, if you go to any triathlon club, I mean, the one thing people love talking about is triathlon. So don't be afraid to ask people. Yeah, yeah. Great advice. Louise, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been fascinating. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you very much for having me on the lovely, happy podcast about the subject I was not so happy about some time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. What a complete bundle of energy and enthusiasm Louise is. I absolutely love chatting to her, and I'm so inspired by her and by all the brilliant women that she showcased. If you'd like to find out more about Louise, her book, and all those extraordinary women, check out the show notes on the podcast page of my website, well-well-well.co.uk, where I've put all the relevant links. And don't forget to sign up to my menopause nutrition workshop on the 10th of June via the show notes or my Instagram bio. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please give it a five-star rating and a short review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. I'd be so grateful. And do tell your friends and family about it too. It really does make a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast so that more women can find the show. After all, Every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.